It is Crown Corner. Will Palachik, Jessica Charman here with you as we take you in the week that was and the weekend that will be for Charlotte FC. Unfortunately, Charlotte FC coming off of a pair of defeats against Nashville off last weekend and then midweek against Birmingham. Figured we'd put two in for the price of one and also give you a preview of LA Galaxy. Unfortunately, Jess, since the last time we spoke, uh, right after the Nashville game, we had a little hope going into Wednesday against Birmingham, but that hope unfortunately undone by an early second half, uh, second yellow card by Adilson Melanda and a loss to a USL championship side that has Charlotte FC fans, unfortunately right now, feeling like they're talking to themselves, going into a game against LA Galaxy that while on paper you're seeing a Galaxy team that hasn't had good form, but Charlotte FC comes in limping from an injury standpoint. Yeah, I think it's been a really disappointing week for the crown, and I understand the frustrations of the fan base completely. Watching Wednesday night's game was pretty horrific, if I'm honest with you, because it just felt like there wasn't the same desire, perhaps, in the team to get through to the quarterfinals versus in the fan base. You know, it didn't feel like we were as ambitious as maybe we could have been in that match, particularly after getting that red card, which uh, I'm a big fan of Addison Melanda. I think he's been exceptional. But I think on Wednesday, he perhaps showed his 21 years of age with the inexperience of stabbing for that tackle. It was one that, okay, if you're not on a yellow card, cool. But you can't be tricked and tricked with those step overs and then stab out of frustration when you're tailing on a yellow card. And that obviously changed the game. I also think a part of that match that I look back at is those missed chances. The Svidersky one stands out to me right at the end of the first half where he sort of cushioned the ball back to the goalkeeper instead of being able to get that lethal finishing touch on it. And I think we look back at that one as didn't put the game to bed, but still with MLS quality, that's not to talk down on USL Championship. I'm a big appreciator of USL, having called many USL games in my life, but it's a different level and to not mm. have the quality even with 10 players to really challenge and really push at the end until leave the substitutes until 80 something minutes it, it made for some painful watching i know that you were probably poking your eyes out a little bit too willie p oh i was um i was sitting here i was watching with our mutual friend antonio ramos and uh we did the thing that we did last year when we had a road uh, open cup playoff game and uh, ordered some Basante and uh, enjoyed ourselves at least for part of the contest and then unfortunately uh, had to endure what the second half was. Something Latanzio said yesterday, or excuse me, uh, earlier on Friday, I should say, is that he said that because of the ball not going out of bounds, that cost them about six to eight minutes of sub time. Uh, those subs came in, I believe, in about the 81st minute, if I, I'm going back through it and seeing it correctly. And he's saying that he probably wanted to make them about six or seven minutes beforehand. I'm even thinking that they needed to come earlier. Like, I'm thinking in the 70th minute, Milanda took that that second yellow in like the 50th or 52nd minute. So I'm thinking, you know, you got to get those subs at least 25 minutes on the pitch in open play, especially after conceding. I understand that you're That's feeling vulnerable, but to me, just they needed more time to make an impact. Yeah, I think the minute you concede a goal, make those substitutions show that you're really going to chase the game. I saw a lot of tweets, you know, I like to follow the fan social media and there was a lot of frustration after conceding that goal 
body language didn't necessarily look correct on the field. A lot of walking around, a lot of sort of slumped shoulders. That's when you make the subs. That's when you use substitutions to re-motivate your team and to make sure you bring in that fresh blood, that fresh energy. And I think you look back at someone like Ashley Westwood that wasn't given enough impact to be able to show that leadership that we've seen him be able to show and that little bit of class to, to make something happen. And I think that you just didn't give them enough time. Like you say, Willie P, it's all well and good talking about you know, the ball didn't go out of play, but you've got to be proactive to those moments and maybe have them ready on the sideline. It, it, you can pull them back if you think it's too early, but it's better to have them ready to go. Hold them if you don't want to put them in yet, but at least have them ready on that sideline so the referee's always looking for that substitution. And they said openly, I mean, they wanted to go for the cup. I'm not saying, and I'm not doubting that what they're saying is 100% genuine, but you are in a situation right now where you're going to have to play another three matches in succession here in the span of a week. You're going to have to, you would have had to play a fourth match uh, basically in that time, in that time frame uh, off the weekend against Columbus. You have to play the following Wednesday in the quarterfinal. Not to say that you ever, uh, not, not to say that you ever tailor your side to intentionally lose one of these games, but I'm wondering if the, the frame of mind from, Christian Latanzio, and even from the team's aspect is you have a situation where, yes, you're three wins away from a trophy if you get a victory on Wednesday, but that's also another match that's on to a very ambitious workload. I know every team's going through it, especially those who are going down to the last part of this tournament, but uh, I'm wondering if there was a little bit of, of conservation in the mind of, of the head coach trying to make sure, hey, you know, I got three road matches here in a row. It's going to be a pretty ambitious travel back and forth and wondering whether or not I'm not going to say that a loss would have been the worst thing in the world, but I think from that standpoint, maybe they were thinking about trying to at least preserve their team a bit. Yeah, I think the body language in moments of that game and some of the tactics kind of allude to what you're saying. And if that's the case, listen, I'm not the coach, but I think this was a golden opportunity to progress further. I think into Miami is a very beatable side. And I think you have cost yourself a really good opportunity to push further in the cup. Are we going to win MLS Cup this year? <laughs> I mean, listen, it, if you, you've got to have a ticket to win it, right? But does it feel like you're necessarily going to win MLS Cup? Maybe not when you look at the other teams you're competing against right now. I think a deep playoff push is possible, but MLS Cup, pretty ambitious. Get through to the last eight, Open Cup single elimination anything can happen that felt like a great opportunity to try and lift some realistic silverware are we feeling this way if they had seen out the result i mean again i i i know we'd still be disappointed about birmingham but are we feeling this kind of way if we had gotten the point against nashville maybe felt a little bit better about ourselves off the weekend no i think i'd still be feeling this way because the two things are separate right and i yeah. get like different people prioritize different things. But I still like point or no point. Yeah, the league is obviously important. The playoffs are obviously important, but you've got time to make up for in the league, right? Like there's still plenty of games left. We're still early on in the season, really, with the team being very tight in that playoff position. I just feel like when you look at the cup and you look at the draw that you had, and this is no disrespect to Birmingham, I thought they came out with a fantastic game plan and I wish them all the best. I thought they were very good and there were players on that side that could definitely make a name for themselves in MLS, right? It was a great opportunity window and we've seen how well in last year's Open Cup, a USL Championship team made it all the way to the final, right? It, it's not to be poo-pooing them. That being said, how many times are you going to get this sort of path to an Open Cup quarterfinal you don't know 
and then to also have knocked out the reigning champions on the way to have that big cup set if you might call it in our favor beating the uh reigning champions and then to fall to a usl championship side I still feel like I would be pretty salty either way. I'm disappointed that we're not getting another open cup game. Um, I'm with you. Uh, I, and again, I, I agree with you. I'm, I, I'm just, I just like to ask the question just because I know when I think about it, the, the one point maybe means one point, uh, one position in the standing. Charlotte would be eighth instead of ninth, et cetera, and so on. Maybe I would have still felt upset. But again, uh, I think the fact that Saturday was so disappointing, I think also is, is stinging in a lot of people's minds. And I also want to go back to the penalty because uh, we haven't had a chance to talk on a podcast since then. Uh, I think you and I both in the moment were very understanding of, of why the call was made. I think more people have come back and, and had their divergent opinions about it. I, I heard what you said on Friday morning with Mac and Bone. The, the penalty does feel soft to me after further reflection, but at the end of the day, it, it wasn't going to amount to a clear and obvious error, and there was going to be contact, and, and something that, that you and I have said, and I know our friend Antonio has, has echoed this as well, anytime you slow the thing down, it's going to look more... Uh, more cynical in than it really was in live action. I don't think in live action that's a penalty. And I think if you would have seen that go uncalled, VAR would not have called for a review on that play. And I also feel like the, the referee should have possibly swallowed the whistle at that instance of the game because you knew what you were doing by calling a penalty there. You were putting the MVP on the spot. And I'm not going to sit here and say the word rigged. But t- to me, Jess, that, that seemed like a very unjust way to end that contest, if I'm being fair. Yeah, it felt like a way that the referee wanted to be a talking point. And I said that with Mac and Bone, right? A lot of the time, unfortunately, we see referees with a little bit of an ego. Uh, and I, I think being a referee is a very tough job, don't get me wrong. But there's some referees that like to be a talking point. And this felt like one of those moments. I'm a big believer, having watched it back time and time again, that the on-the-field call was going to stand. If the referee didn't blow the whistle, they wouldn't have gone back to watch it because it's not a clear and obvious penalty. But on the same way, it's not a clear and obvious error because the contact is there. Uh, I think we would like to see a move away in all leagues from that being a penalty just because of the way the ball is long gone. The player exaggerates the contact, earns the penalty. For me, it's a minimal soccer contact injury. And when... Like you say, with VAR, the invention of VAR, you're slowing these things down, which don't give you the context in a real and regular soccer game, right? That's a tangling of legs. It happens all over the field without any calls. So for me, I think with the invention of VAR, you have to kind of raise that bar of what is a foul. And I would like to see this sport move away, whether it's for or against Charlotte FC. I wouldn't want to see us getting that sort of penalty nine times in if we can develop and move on to let those sorts of things happen in the game. Because at the end of the day, physicality is part of it. We don't want to see that margin of foul being a penalty. Otherwise, you're going to see penalties every single game. I mean, tell, tell the truth, Jess. The, the challenge on Capetti on the midweek in Chicago that didn't get called a penalty, there was more contact in that than there was in the one that was on uh, one. It's another one where the on-the-field call stands. And I think that's what we have to remember when we talk about VAR. A lot of people are quick to say, and I get it. Like, it's frustrating. Hey, why is VAR not looking at that? Well, the wording is when it comes to penalties, clear and obvious errors. And if there's not enough contact for the referee or the referee doesn't deem there to be enough contact, then they're probably not going to look back at it unless it's an egregious foul. And on the flip side, if the referee deems it to be enough contact, they're probably not going to pull it back if they see that there is a level of contact because they're allowing for the interpretation on the referee. It's just ironic to me, I guess, 
when my biggest pet peeve in officiating right now is linesmen not being empowered to make their own decision and waiting and waiting and waiting for VAR to check their offside call even when there's clear daylight between players. Can't the, why didn't the referee do that this time? You know, if you're really scared, it's not a penalty. Hold your damn whistle and wait, you know, and mm-hmm. I wish we could see a little bit more of that cautiousness on giving penalties because let's be honest, penalties are going to change the way the game is played. Unfortunately, Kalina yet to save an MLS penalty. Exactly. And we look ahead to this week. Uh, I'll ask you about Galaxy in a second, but I'm more concerned about what we'll have available to us on the front line. Looks like no Capetti, no Yozviak, no Mackenzie Gaines, uh, no Ben Bender for the trip against LA Galaxy. So I'm guessing the front line, uh, if you go by what happened on Wednesday, it'd probably be that same front line of Svidersky, Merrim, and Vargas with uh, Ajiman and Cambridge is your only available forward players off the bench. Uh, maybe they use Hagard in a role if they need to, or maybe even a guy like Nick Scardina pushing forward. But uh, I think from right now, Charlotte FC is in a, an unfortunately woeful position in terms of their forward players. Uh, how do you expect the creativity to be played out here on Saturday? Because right now you're dealing with a couple of wingers who don't really have a lot of support from the midfield in terms of the offensive capabilities outside of Westwood and Carroll, who uh, might be finding himself in a similar position like he had last year playing as a center forward, but maybe not necessarily the best service coming his way. Yeah, it's really tough, right? Because a few game weeks ago, we were talking about the squad depth and how incredible it was to have all these wing options. And when everyone was going to be fit, we were going to have such a difficult job picking between them. And unfortunately, it's got to the stage where you get one back in Kerwin Vargas and another two drop. It's a really tough scenario to be in. I think that we need to see Justin Merrim continue to step up. Obviously, has some really nice stats to his name since arriving in Charlotte for consistent games with a uh, attacking stat in terms of an assist and a goal, which is really great form. Need to see that come into play for him. I thought Kerwin was a live wire off of the bench. I like what he brought. I thought he did a decent job against Birmingham as well. Had that cheeky, chippy, uh, over-the-top-of-the-keeper attempt that almost caught the keeper off guard against Birmingham as well, which was a nice effort, seeing a little bit of his confidence come back in. But like you say, Will, with Carroll, I mean, when you have to go from playing a number 10 to a number 9 to a winger, we want players that are versatile, I get it, but it is hard to adjust. And I think we saw him playing as a false nine, trying to get in on the ball, trying to drop in, trying to show the issue is when he drops in, there's no one ahead of him. So it's going to be tough. The one thing that gives me a bit of a solace against uh, the Galaxy is that they have one of the worst defenses in the league, only uh, mm-hmm. us. <clears throat> and Atlanta United have conceded more goals. So that goes to say a lot about how they're leaking goals. And they've also only scored 10 goals. So it's a decent opposition to have. But... I say that with a word of caution as well, because at the end of the day, LA Galaxy is one, two moments away from clicking and showing the star power that they can have based on their stats. I mean, they've uh, completed the second most passes. They've taken the most shots in the league, yet they've only scored 10 goals. What's it going to take for them to score and and open the floodgates potentially, just hoping it's not against Charlotte and we can get our defensive mindset correct? And they've got a lot of talent on their side. I mean, we obviously know Chicharito, uh, Ricky Pooch as well, you know, the Spanish designated player that they brought over, and uh, also Efrain Alvarez, who came off the bench and scored a worldie in the game against us a year ago. There's a lot uh, to like for them, but only 10 goals scored 
they've got a lot of talent. They just haven't found the back of the net. You mentioned the defense not being what it should be. I know your uh, your guy Jonathan Bond kind of made a meal of it in a couple of attempts uh, in the game against DC United. It's a scenario where I think everybody is kind of at least on the Western Conference side trying to figure out you know when it's finally going to click for Greg Vanny's LA Galaxy and whether or not he'll be around to actually see it. Yeah, and I'll say something that terrifies me about Jonathan Bond right now. Goalkeepers that make individual errors usually come back the next game and play incredibly, incredibly well. First player this season in the entire MLS to be credited with two errors leading to a goal, which just shows how bad of a performance it was from him returning to injury. But I've been that goalkeeper that has uh, had a good mess up in a game, a howler, as I like to call it, and guess what? Next game week, you're usually on fire. So hopefully that's not the case in this one. Definitely not. I did want to ask you too, before we set, uh, step aside about Guzman Carujo, because uh, from Charlotte FC's perspective, they're trying to integrate him back in. I know I had it on the second screen on Wednesday night watching Guzman. I thought he was incredibly solid playing for Crown Legacy. He got about an hour in uh, in that contest on Wednesday night. Uh, now the question is, what are the next steps? Christian Latanzia is saying on Friday that he is going to make the trip uh, with Charlotte FC to Los Angeles. Whether or not he features, I think, is another story. How do you feel like they should integrate Guzman Carujo back in the lineup, putting into practice the fact that you've always said you'd never want to have to change your back line if you don't have to? Yeah, I think you do it with caution. Honestly, as someone that's come back from blowing out my entire knee in a major knee surgery, you as a player almost need to be protected by your staff to an extent. It was great to see him get those considerable minutes uh, at MLS Next Pro with Crown Legacy, who, by the way, were incredible again in that fight back mm -hmm. and winning the penalty shootout for the extra point. I think that you've got to take it with a caution. If you're able to get a comfortable lead, maybe bring him on for 10, 15 minutes of MLS action towards the end if things are comfortable. But, you know, I'm going to say, make sure you don't make those defensive substitutions while you're defending. Do it while you've got an attacking play because it's difficult to adjust. It's a different style of play, but you want to give Guzman the opportunity to get some minutes in at MLS level, but you don't want to rush it either because we cannot underestimate the significance of the injury and how incredible it is that he's been able to make such a, a speedy recovery back into MLS action. Yeah, I wouldn't have minded another 90 at Legacy before trying to bring him up. But shows, again, shows where we're at, doesn't it, in terms of the dire, the dire injuries that we're seeing right now. Well, again, I, I think, again, that's the other point of it is that that's the one area of our team right now that actually... I mean, while while Guzman would be a lot better than, I don't want to say a lot better, but I think having Guzman back would definitely solidify the back line. Uh, the fact is that that's the one area of our team right now that we're not hurt. And that's, you know, we've, we've got a full stock of fullbacks and center backs right now outside of Carujo to be able to make it happen. So I, I almost wouldn't have minded maybe another game at, at the uh, Crown Legacy level. And then maybe you could give him an hour in an MLS contest from the start or something along those lines. I just wonder if they're not trying to lure him into a full sense of security, right? And that, again, big fan of MLS Next Pro, but the level and the jump is pretty significant. If you've managed to get enough to prove your fitness at that level, perhaps you want to bring him up to speed with MLS just so you don't get too comfortable playing at a slightly slower pace, slower physicality. It's the second tier of this league for a reason, you know? 
And and you have two players that uh, featured on Wednesday night in Cambridge and uh, Patrick Ajiman, who got his first team debut, uh, getting that that first uh, opportunity off the uh, off the page there. I'm wondering if we might see Ajiman at least uh, making his MLS debut on Saturday off the bench because uh, he's somebody who I think you and I have both been calling for, Jess, with his frame and his size. He's got the final product, too, in him to boot. It's just whether or not he can get it done at the top level. Uh, I'd be very curious to see how he features on Saturday along with Cambridge, who uh, unfortunately didn't show the same type of flair in his second contest uh, as he did uh, after the uh, Chicago featuring. And I think part of that's just because when you have such a great game, when you're rated MLS player of the match day, you're going to have a target on your back like we talk Mm -hmm. about. So he was definitely quieted down by the defensive play of the opposition. For Patrick, yeah, I think it's time. And when else are you going to make your debut when you don't have that squad depth? There isn't too many attacking options. He'll be a great outlet off of the bench. Charlotte FC and LA Galaxy Saturday night. A little MLS after dark, Jess. We always know that that hits very different. So uh, looking forward to uh, staying up late and hopefully we get ourselves a result out in Los Angeles. Plenty of coffee tomorrow. Thanks, Will. (laughs) We will talk to you on the Charlotte FC Radio Network on Saturday beginning at 10 o'clock.